This is the Growth Gossip Podcast, where we talk about growth. But what exactly is growth? We are going to find out what's behind this buzzword. Hosted by yours truly, Michal, of Yoke Workspace and Community in Krakow. And me, Romeo Mann, founder of Mann Digital. You're the man. <laughs> hey, Romeo. So, who are we talking to today? Today, I'm really excited to talk with Antonello. He's uh, from Italy, from a small town next to Rome. And he will tell us actually how he got into Google, his whole journey, and all the, you know, nice stories of uh, being in this tech industry, helping startups, and so on. He's working here in Krakow. We have him in the studio, so I'm really excited to get into this call. Google, Italy, Krakow. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Hey, Antonello. Welcome to our podcast. Hi, Romeo. Great to see you again. Hi, Michal. Hey, Romeo. Antonello. Um, so we met first time at Google campus, right? That's correct. We were both mentors for Google Launchpad Accelerator. We will go in details what what's Google for startups and Google Launchpad, but today you work for YouTube, but before you worked for Google, we all know what these companies do, so I will not ask you what I usually ask other guests, but can you tell us a bit what you do today at YouTube and uh, what does that mean actually? So first of all, my name is Antonello Schiavo, right, for the, for the people that don't know me. So what do I do right now? Right now I'm a vendor manager for YouTube Trust and Safety. So basically on my day-to-day, -day, I work with vendor partners across different locations mm -hmm. in, uh, in Europe and I manage uh, this operation of vendor partners. So my goal basically is to transfer the knowledge from inside YouTube and manage this company on the way they work with our platform. So the main point of uh, the trust and safety industry is basically to review the content that shouldn't be allowed on the YouTube platform. So if you imagine, for example, not only YouTube, but every company that has content like Facebook, TikTok, etc., they have a trust and safety department. And I work for the YouTube Trust and Safety Department, managing uh, the collaboration with these vendor companies. Got it, got it. So what I'm curious today to, to go through, how you get to work for Google, how mm -hmm. you get to work for a platform like, like YouTube, right? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who, who that sort of sounds like a dream job, you know, because that, that's the big boys, you know. So <laughs> Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, it, it was my dream job too as well when I, when I wanted to, in, to enter it. So that's great. So we have, we have like an hour packed for different stories. So feel free to go in as much as details as you want. So tell us a bit about, you know, the beginnings because... The the thing I know about you is that you are from Bari, and not Bari, next to Bari. Next to Rome. Next to Rome. <laughs> 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 but so why did I understand about Bari? It was between Rome and Bari? Between Some? Rome and Bari. Ah, yeah. between Rome and Bari. Okay, cool. And uh, the beginning, you were telling me that you in, in this city you have some cookies that 
for weddings, yep. right? And you call them how? They are called the uh, confetti. Confetti, so uh, like what we usually do for birthday parties when we, we use confettis to yeah. celebrate, right? Yeah, in English that's the word, but you know, in Italy, these type of confetti are normally used during wedding. So they are like small white sweets uh-huh. that are made from almond and then you know you have a lot of sugar of course in it and they are very famous because you know my city is called Sulmona and that's where they come from so just to give an example even during the wedding of the royal family in UK mm-hmm. there was one company that sold them the confetti from my city so oh, it was nice. also nice to see that you know they made personalized confetti for uh, for the royal family in UK Oh, that's cool. what a what a great product for a town to be known for. Yeah. You know, like something that's all about celebration and it's yeah. it's it's so photogenic and all that. There is even a museum of confetti in my city. So, <laughs> so you Whoa. are big into that. Yeah. I I want to see the evolution <laughs> of confetti. <laughs> cool. So you you're from this town but you studied mm-hmm. where you studied in, yep. in rome or in so i studied in pescara and my, okay. my region is called abruzzo right so that's mm-hmm. uh, where i come from and pescara is basically 70 kilometers from my hometown okay so it's like you know a seaside city very nice place as well to go during the summer etc and that's where i where i had my my studies so i studied there for for five years mm-hmm. i had my bachelor in uh, business administration mm-hmm. then i went for erasmus to poland in uh, oh, 2000 yeah, oh. yeah 2012 i went for erasmus to poland in, mm-hmm. uh, in gdansk then i came back i finished my master thesis. from city to city right uh, from sea to sea exactly from sea yeah. to sea i'm i'm <laughs> a huge uh, lover of seaside right so actually my dream is to live on a Mediterranean island uh-huh. when, I, when I will be 50, if I, if I will arrive at 50. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I finished my business administration master degree as well in Italy, and then uh, that's where I started my professional career in around 2014. Yeah, and I, w- w- what's funny is that, you know, yoke community and work, work, um, co-working space, we are having the podcast their place and while we were coming here you were telling me how that hey i did my thesis in in co-working yep. so that's interesting so i'm sure that Mihao would have a bunch of questions about what this this whole yeah yeah thesis just, just, con- contains. just, just, just <laughs> real quick like what motivated you to focus on that topic everything started because i had a great professor and there was a the subject called uh, innovation management, right? Mm -hmm. So, and this professor inspired us a lot with a lot of innovative companies, innovations, et cetera, around, you know, digital companies, what they were doing at the time. And, you know, I'm talking about 2012, 2013. And at that time in US, there was starting the concept of of co-working. And just to give an idea, in Italy, during the 2012, 2013, there were only really few co-working around uh, around Italy. So it was just a new concept in Italy, but it was already developing outside uh, of Italy, like in US. We work was in that period and they started? I I think a bit later, if I remember Mm -hmm. correctly. And so that's what inspired me because, you know, this whole concept of not having a specific office, but, you know, being a freelancer. And, you know, if you go to an, an, a new city, you have a place to stay and also a place to work. That's what inspired me. And my master thesis was about co-working. So the first part was around how do you create the community inside the co-working? Because that's the main part of what makes a co-working great, the, the community. That's something that we discovered mm-hmm. along the way. Yeah. yeah. 
Exactly. And the second part was more about the practical on practical plan on how to create a co-working. And there was a, a business plan on how to open a co-working in, in an Italian city, for example. And you wanted to open that? I wanted at the time, but then I, I changed my, my priority. Mm -hmm. But maybe, you know, it doesn't mean that later on in my life I will open one, right? Of course, we want to <laughs> focus on, on you and yeah. your story and, and what you're doing. But community in, in the context of co-working is something that's near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on creating, nourishing, supporting community? Yeah, so it, it was interesting because I was visiting one co-working when it was last year mm. in, in Paphos, in uh, Cyprus. And I think for me, community, I've seen it live in that place. It's one, the opportunity to feel welcome in a new place, even if you don't know anyone. So, for example, when I arrived in that co-working, as soon as I arrived, they showed me the calendar event of the week. For example, you know, they had the sunset yoga every Wednesday or, you know, creating a lot of networking opportunities. Right. Because at the end of the day, I've been also in other co-workings where maybe, you know, they could be classified only as a desk rental space. Right, right. right? And that's the main problem because... People think that co-working is only desk renting, but what makes a unique co-working is the community, the events, networking opportunities, etc. So I would say that's the main part for me. Whenever I go to a co-working place, I want to see what's happening there. Why people, you know, maybe are collaborating between each other, you know, maybe creating side projects together. Mm -hmm. I think that's what makes a co-working unique. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also Google is, is pushing a lot on this, at least with the Google for Developers, together with Google Developers. So there are yeah. a lot of communities, yeah, communities that are yeah. around around Google, right? Yeah, that's true. I think, yeah, there are also a lot of students' communities. So I think if you're a student, you can apply for, you know, one of these, I think they're called GDG community. Okay. So that, you know, it's they are mainly for engineers and developers. But yeah, the, we have a lot of communities around uh, the world you know, from startups, as you know, and as well for, for mm -hmm. developers. So mm -hmm. I think it's, it's the new, it's a new concept that is going to grow even more considering the work, the remote work that is, you know, growing mm -hmm. right now. And so you finished in Pescara, you finished mm -hmm. the thesis, you didn't open the co-working. <laughs> I didn't open the co-working, And then you decided to go for uh, Google or you, w w how, how was did this, this idea, yeah, how, okay, I want to go for Google, so what do I do to, to get there? Yeah. Right? So there is a funny story behind, because when I was Erasmus in Poland, it was 2012, right? And at the time, as, as I said, I come from a small town in Italy, like, you know, 25,000 citizens. And I then went to Erasmus in Poland, in Gdansk, where, you know, it's like, 500,000 citizens, a big city, living with a lot of different people from nation different nationalities, etc. And at that moment, I felt that I was driving a Ferrari. Like, <laughs> every, every day was so fascinating because I was surrounded by different nationalities, learning about, you know, making uh, a lot of friends from Romania, from Spain, France, etc. And it was so great for me. Mm -hmm. But... As every great story, there was an end. So it, this was a six months uh, Erasmus, mm -hmm. and then when I go, when I went back uh, to Italy, and I went back to the university, and I went back to my hometown after a while, 
I was like, hmm, okay, this feels like a Fiat 500, not a Ferrari. <laughs> so from a, from a Ferrari to a 500, I was like, hmm, I, I want more speed, you know, I want, to, I want more fun. But at least you have more space. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you have more space, you have more nature, but yeah, I, I wanted, I wanted more, more, more speed with the, with the Ferrari. And so that's why I decided I want to go back to Poland because I had a lot of friends as well that they, they told me, look, I think career-wise, this was 2014, I think Poland is a great place to start your career because there are a lot of multinational companies like Google as well and, you know, like other companies like Facebook in Warsaw as well. So mm -hmm. it's a, it's a pretty, it was a pretty interesting place and pretty alive place. So you got this feedback from Italians or yeah, one Italian, was already yeah, yeah, One Italian friend okay. that was already in Poland and he told me, look, if I will be you, I will start in Wrocław because at that time there were a lot of job opportunities in Wrocław. And I've noticed that there was the Google office in Wrocław, right? Mm -hmm. And funnily enough, during that period, they were starting to build the Italian Google Ads team. So okay. they were looking for Italian speakers with digital marketing knowledge and Google Ads knowledge. Okay. And so that's what I already had because one interesting thing is that during my Erasmus in Gdansk, I actually had a marketing course with one professor from the university exactly about Google Ads. Imagine mm, okay. Google Ads at university in 2012. For me, it was like an, an amazing yeah, experience. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, and then I think... That also, that course helped me to get the job at Google because mm. I didn't start from scratch. I already had a bit of experience in, with so Google So in Ads. Erasmus, you actually went to course? So it was a, a lecture, actually. It was a class from a, a professor and, you know, we had... Uh, yeah, because there is this stereotype that the only part is... Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was 50-50, right? So 50 -50, like 50-50, like 50 classes and then 50 parties as well. <laughs> and then you applied in Wrocław and you so got the job. I found this role in, uh, in uh, Google Wrocław and they said they were looking for Italian speakers with Google Ads knowledge and I applied uh, through a referral. That's also one important thing to know that maybe not so many people th are aware that if you apply with to the to these big companies through a referral your chances to get hired are much higher okay. compared to just sending your cv on the google career page and competing with one million applicants uh, every year right so the recruiter has a different tab let's say with all the applicants from referrals and i suppose they yeah. are taking you that as a priority you get prioritized exactly okay. mm -hmm. so Yeah, so I, I knew one person that worked there and this person made me uh, a referral and then, you know, I went through the interview process, five interviews, you know. I felt like, I don't know if you remember that game called Metal Slug. No, no, no. Uh, so it was like, you know, an arcade game of the, the 90s. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I felt like the Metal Slug game as part of the interview you know it was like five different stages you know level one complete level two <laughs> complete it was like pretty long interview process but but tell us about this interview i'm curious yeah, yeah. like right. what 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 kind of uh, questions why they were so long what, what what's happening there? yeah so i would say one interesting thing about the interview at google are the fact that they focus a lot on behavioral questions okay so there are a lot of case scenarios questions and At the end of the day, they don't want to have the right answer because I've also in the past have done interviews for other companies, but they were more, you know, analytical, like, okay, give me the 
can you do this uh, equation? Or, you know, give me the uh, name of this this place in, uh, in a different uh, country, right? So it was more about the specific answer that they wanted to know. While at Google, there are a lot of behavioral questions mm-hmm. and case studies. So, for example, one of the questions that they asked me during the, the interview was, imagine at the time it was Larry Page, the CEO of Google, mm-hmm. right? Right now is uh, Sundar. And they asked me, imagine Larry Page comes to you and he tells you, from tomorrow, we want to make Gmail a paid product. Mm-hmm. What would you do? What would you tell him? Yes or no? Why yes? Why no? So you have to motivate your answer. And as you can see, there is not a right answer. You know, you can go for yes, but if you explain why yes, it makes sense. But you can also go for no, but if you explain why no, it also makes sense. So that's what I love about the interview at Google, that mm-hmm. they want to see how you think rather than tell me exactly the, solve me this equation, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I was reading this book, from Laszlo Bock, mm-hmm. who, is, who was the VP of uh, HR, right? At Google at the yeah. beginnings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was talking about interviews. The, the book is called Work Better, right? Or something like that. Oh, I, I don't remember. Yeah, <laughs> either way. So he was talking about the culture at Google and so on and so forth. And one of the things that um, I found very interesting is that the recruiters are very aware about this idea of... Uh, biases and different Mm -hmm. biases that you can have. And one of them is recency biased, right? So if you had a recent good experience, you know, in your life, you are, or with this particular person, you tend to give uh, higher notes, Mm -hmm. right? So can you tell us a bit more about, you know, why you had so many interviews? Do you think it was also because of this to avoid biases, yep. to avoid the fact that, you know, one recruiter might like you more and the other than the others? Or mm-hmm. h- how do you explain these many interviews? Yeah, so at the end, there are many interviews because you have to be tested by different team members, right? Mm-hmm. So one team member will test you about maybe leadership. Another person will test you about your cognitive abilities. Another person will test you uh, about, I don't know, the role-related knowledge, so the technicalities, for example, of Google Ads. And then you have the interview as well with the manager and the manager of the manager. So they want to have the interview with someone that is part of the team. Let's say uh, I got three interviews with three people from the Italian team because, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they were hiring for the Italian team. So the team. members, actually. Exactly. Of the, the members. Mm-hmm. So they want to see if you are a good fit for the team. But mm-hmm. also, because they might be biased, I also had an interview with the manager of the Spanish team and okay. also the director of the Central Europe team. So they want to see if you are a good fit for the team, but also a good fit later on for the overall team. So not only the smallest team. And the evaluation, how it will go, like, would they have some veto vote or is just a rating uh, from one to five? Or I'm just curious about how they collect mm-hmm. all these this information and then make yeah. the decision. You leave a feedback, basically. So mm-hmm. everyone leaves a feedback. And I think the most important part about the bias is that you can't see the other person's feedback until everyone completes the interview, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's also okay. the, the, the interesting part is that you have three sets of interview, then each one leaves the feedback, and then the manager sees all the feedback and then 
they make the decision, okay, let's go with the fourth stage, let's go with the fifth stage, for example. Okay, yeah. okay, got it. Fascinating. Like that, that is, that is, yeah. And, sure. and I, I'm curious, like, if if you were to maybe not fail one of these stages, mm-hmm. but but just not do as good, but but if you were doing well in the others, if, if that's enough to sort of keep you on board, but yeah. Uh, anyways, yeah. <laughs> so then, you you got into into this position and you mm-hmm. moved to Wrocław. Yeah. So then I, I moved to Wrocław and yeah, I started there in uh, 2014, and I worked there for uh, two and a half years around. Yeah, two and a half years, and uh, yeah, in that role basically it was an entry level job. So mm-hmm, I was mm-hmm. dealing with support for Google Ads Mm -hmm. for Italian advertisers, both small companies and marketing agencies. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning, you know, I started to support small companies because, you know, my knowledge of the product was uh, was still very small. But as soon as I understood more, I know I I developed my skills, etc. I moved internally to a different team, still part of the customer support team where I was helping the biggest Italian advertisers with with their marketing campaign. So whenever they had an issue, or tech, either technical or, you know, they wanted to set up certain strategies, we were going to Italy, for example, having a meeting with them or, you know, I'm having gang out calls. I'm curious, when you were going back to your hometown mm-hmm. and you had these confetti uh, yeah. factories that <laughs> wanted to sell, were they asking the Google Ads uh, campaigners and the uh, actual, you know, Promoting the confetti no. to the royal family. Come on. <laughs> yeah, no. Unfortunately, no. I don't have the direct contact with the owner of the of that factory. <laughs> or they yeah. don't need. They have a huge brand awareness. Right? Yeah, I think maybe not, not. They don't have a monopoly because there are, I think, two or three companies that are producing these confetti. But yeah, I, I think they do marketing, uh, marketing, uh, you know, online as well. But yeah, uh, they didn't reach out to me. <laughs> but on the serious note, I was just yeah, wondering yeah. how you, how was the reaction of you know the because. From the small town to Google, mm-hmm. like, I think it's like a wow effect, right? Yeah, I think, especially, you know, my family was very happy. Also, my friends as well, you know, they were like, you know, it's something that doesn't happen very often, especially mm-hmm. in, a, in a small town. But actually, I got to know when it was, I think, a few months ago, that there is also uh, another girl from my city that works in uh, Google. I, I didn't know. I, I just uh, found it randomly. Yeah. Famous city. Yeah. <laughs> confettis and Googlers. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the confettis are the secret. Yeah. <laughs> I think pretty soon the, the confetti is going to be like second tier and you guys are going to be like, oh, th- this is what the town is known for. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how you did de- develop in, in Google? Because mm-hmm. I suppose there is a huge competition, right? So you have... On this Italian team, you have Italian team and all the European mm-hmm, teams, correct, right? Yeah. Like, and each team has how many members? Like, I don't know. They had a bunch of members. Yeah, like it, it depends on the size of the market. You know, it could go from five team members to up to 20, 40. It depends exactly. on the size of the market, yeah. So there is a huge competition. Mm-hmm. And then from Wrocław, tell us a little bit about your your transfer to, to mm-hmm. Krakow and how did that happen and what were you doing in, in Krakow yep. as soon as you came here? So I would say, I, I still remember when I did the interview and I asked the person that you know was interviewing me, I was like, hey, what are the career opportunities at Google as soon as you enter this role or you know, maybe after a few years you are in this role? And he was like, look, actually I think this is the biggest problem you will have because 
there are so many career opportunities and as you can as you know google is a very is um, present everywhere in the world right so you could move to sydney you could move to us you could move to london and you know join the marketing team for google play like everything you could try everything so he was actually saying that that's one of the biggest problem because you could do everything so you need to decide exactly what do you want to do mm-hmm. and so i started to notice one trend and it was the trend about outsourcing. So I noticed that more and more companies, not only Google, but you know, also big companies, they were investing in outsourcing through outsourcing partners, like you know, companies like Accenture and uh, these type of companies. Capgemini. Capgemini, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I noticed that Poland especially was a big place for outsourcing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, two plus two is equal four. Okay, mm-hmm. let me think about it. And I noticed that the Krakow market especially was growing a lot when it comes to outsourcing. So I would say, okay, that could be a nice and interesting niche to ride. Because I, I believe in the concept that it's nicer and it's easier to ride the wave that is growing, right? Compared to going, to, going into an industry that is declining. Mm-hmm, so I course. wanted to find that place at Google and that's why I decided to go for outsourcing. Mm-hmm. So then in 2017, I applied to this role as a sales operation manager here in Krakow, where I was basically managing uh, an operation together with, with a vendor partner company of account manager for Google Ads. So we mm-hmm. had a team of account managers contacting a small and medium businesses across Europe to optimize their uh, marketing campaign. And I'm curious, you went again through this whole recruitment process? So, yeah, I went through the internal <laughs> recruitment process. Which is also like five. <laughs> this, this, time it, this time there weren't uh, five stages, but only three. I see, yeah. I see. So it's harder to get in exactly. than uh, later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's harder and I, I want to go back a little bit about uh, on this also on getting in because we didn't touch on what are actually those competencies that mm-hmm. you believe were yep. considered you know by the recruiters to get you this job because mm-hmm. many people would ask this okay this is the process mm-hmm. i understand this is the ranking so on and so forth but why mm-hmm. do they choose the people that they choose right yep. so i would say uh, i have this concept that you need to find your unique competitive advantage right mm-hmm. everywhere you want to apply so for me, it was the Italian language and also the fact that this role was in Poland. Mm-hmm. And also, since it was an entry-level job, they were looking for you know fresh graduates with a little bit of experience with Google Ads. So I had experience with Google Ads, so I didn't have to study it from scratch because you know I already had the opportunity to work on campaigns for my brother's company as well. And I also had this course at the university and second it was Poland as I said so imagine when you think about being an expat especially in Italy there is this concept hey I want to be an expat I would like to live in London Paris Barcelona you know the Mm -hmm. the fancy places so not so many people are willing to move to Poland Mm. and I consider this a unique advantage for me because I was not competing with all the Italians that wanted to go to London, Dublin, or, you know, the fancy places. And I said, okay, let's try in Poland. And the third one, it was the Italian language. So 
I was competing only with, at the end, I was competing with Italians that wanted to go to Poland and add Google Ads knowledge. I got it. Mm-hmm. Right? So how big is that competition, you know, competition right? Compared mm-hmm. to people that, if, you, if I would have started in Google Italy, I would have to compete with Italians that wants to be in Milan and that have Google Ads knowledge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was not necessarily the studies you had mm-hmm. or... I would uh, say also because I studied business administration, mm-hmm. right? So I, I had marketing and, you know, marketing actually was one of the best uh, subjects that I studied and, you know, the one I loved the most. So mm-hmm. it clicked for me immediately. I, I still remember this, uh, this moment with my marketing professor at university. And I remember that she was at, you know, the chapter two or three of the, of the book while I was at chapter 10. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to study that book. Uh, it was actually the Kotler book, the market, uh, yeah. marketing from, from Kotler. And the Bible. I, and for me it was exactly the Bible. <laughs> and for me it was weird because, you know, with all the other subjects, like, you know, private law, public law as well. Oh my gosh, these were really tough to digest. But with mm-hmm. marketing, I was like, hey, it feels like I'm reading a magazine, not a, mm-hmm. not a, a university book. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and that clicked in my mind. I was like, hmm, I, I think I should do something connected to marketing. And then Google was the, the right place. Okay. And then, and then when you came to, to, to Krakow mm-hmm. as sales operations, yep. you already had the experience of doing the job of, you know, Google ads Correct. support and so on. Mm-hmm that actually you will manage here, right? Exactly. So I was teaching and, you know, coaching uh, these vendor companies on how to optimize their campaign, you know, making trainings as well. And, you know, we were doing, there was actually a series of training that I created for the team that was called hands-on training. Mm -hmm. So giving them examples on how to create a campaign or, you know, how to make certain advanced strategies for these marketing campaigns, because I I had spent before two years working closely with the product. So I knew the inside out of the product. I mean, right now I'm a bit behind because as you know, Google Ads, yeah, Google ads is changing every three seconds. So <laughs> right now I'm a bit behind, but at the time my knowledge was, uh, was pretty high. So that's why, you know, I went into this role with the opportunity to teach others how to optimize marketing campaigns. Mm-hmm. And you were also on top of the wave because Outsourcing was mm-hmm. growing in, exactly. in, in Poland. And then I suppose also Google had this this change in which you have more vendors working for Google and mm-hmm. then you had this experience, right? Correct. Co- yeah. co- like previously it was not the case. Yeah, correct. So uh, it, it, it happened all around between 2017, 2018, mm-hmm. I would say, where more and more Google was outsourcing to these vendor partners and I was in the right spot, right? Because we were growing a lot. I was growing as well together with the, with the company. So it was a, a perfect match for, for my career growth. Mm-hmm. Cool. So this is the, the Google era, let's call it. Yeah. But then it's the YouTube era, mm-hmm. which is part of Google yep, at exactly. the end of the day. But are there some differences between the two or how, how, how do you see differences? Because it's different platforms, different mm-hmm. things, but I'm just wondering if the company per se is, yep. is the same. Yeah, so I joined this YouTube team at the end of 2020. So it's like almost one year and a half that I'm in uh, part of this team. I would say the main differences that I've noticed is the fact that it's easier to get to know everyone within the company mm-hmm. because 
it's a smaller company compared to the whole Google, right? So whenever, for example, I'm in touch with the engineering team, I'm in touch with the legal team, I'm in touch with the marketing team, well, maybe at Google, I was only surrounded by my marketing team, right? So I didn't have the opportunity to collaborate maybe with the engineering or marketing or, I don't know, legal team, right? While here, because it's a smaller company, I mean, 6,000 employees, right? So not that small, but still we have the chance to collaborate more across companies, uh, across the in the team, sorry. And we have the opportunity to know, to see exactly the launch of new products from scratch. So mm-hmm. you know that there is these shorts right now, right? Yes, so yes, that yes. they are available on, uh, on mm-hmm, a YouTube mm-hmm. platform. So I was able to see this from behind the scene, right? And that mm-hmm. was, uh, was pretty interesting. That's cool. So you, at the end of the day, specialize, went into, you know, this unique selling proposition, let's say, mm-hmm. like that Italian in Poland. Then you identified the niche, which was outsourcing, mm-hmm. right? What trends or what kind of technologies or what kind of industries you see today in 2022 growing? Mm-hmm. And if you would be uh, a student now, like mm-hmm. let's say Antonello after Erasmus, let's mm-hmm. say this way, after the Erasmus in Gdańsk, but you are in 2022 mm-hmm. with the know-how that you have today, mm-hmm. yeah, with the same, with the information that you have today, on the trends, what would you choose? Like what, what path would you, would you choose and why would you choose that? Mm-hmm. I would say I have two ideas if I would have to restart. Mm-hmm. Uh, one idea, it's more following the mind. Another idea is more following the heart, let's okay. say. So if I would have to follow the mind, I would go and do mm. computer science. Okay. I see it everywhere, right? So I think if you are an engineer right now and you have people that are looking for you, they will knock at your door right now. So, and this is the future, right? So in in every company, they need engineers. Like, you know, softwares are coming uh, from every corner, wherever you see, wherever, wherever you look, you can find the software, right? So I will study computer science, uh, specifically, you know, become a developer, et cetera. So if I would have to follow the mind, if I would have to follow the heart, I think I would go for psychology because especially after the pandemic, people started to realize that hmm, maybe we should pay more attention on how we think, what's happening with our mind, etc. And I see it inside the companies and outside as well. So that's what I would do right now if I would be a student. Let's go more deep into yep. that because right, the right. computer science is <laughs> kind of obvious. Yeah. <laughs> I mean many of many of the people who come to this podcast yep. where we talk about growth they are from this industry mm-hmm. or they recruit for this industry. But you are from the technology and mm-hmm. you say okay, we need to look at the mind, especially after pandemic. You think it's a thing First of all, why do you think it's it's from the pandemic? Like, what what did boost this importance of mm-hmm. mental health and of understanding better behavior psychology? Yeah, I would say the biggest impact is the fact that you are not working closely with people, right? So you don't have the personal relationship, the 
you know, personal touch, etc., that you have whenever you see someone in the office, right? So you need to be able to understand how to build this relationship. So you need to know how this person feels. So you need to have a great emotional intelligence to build the relationship through a GVC, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I think it's very important. GVC? It's it's a camera. So if you want to do a video call, Ah, we call it GVC uh, at Google, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. Google video call, right? Okay. Yeah, so... I think that that's the main reason. And even if you want to be a manager right now and you want to manage people remotely, I think having this knowledge on how to deal with people, being good at emotional, in, uh, having a great emotional intelligence, that will help you a lot. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the days, you know, when you have an experience with a company, the first person that you see is a manager. You know, there is this saying: you don't leave a company, you leave the manager, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So. Imagine you have this knowledge, so you you are perceived a great manager. At the end of the day, if you are a great manager, you might be a great leader and you normally grow because people, you know, say good thing about you. Everyone values you more. So that's but I wonder why sometimes go. what do you do because you talk about this as, as, as a manager. Mm-hmm. And yes, I understand that leaders need that emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. leadership skills, yada, yada, yada. But you have the entry point, entry level, sorry, entry level employees mm-hmm. that also need to make sure that, okay, they understand behavior psychology and so on. What, what advices and what would you say about those categories and that audience that is at the beginning of yep. the whole journey? I mean, as an entry level, if you want to grow, one of the skills that you need to learn is how to influence others how to mm-hmm. be a natural leader without having the title of a leader. Mm-hmm. And that's why I would still prefer to, you know, for them to study psychology so that they will know what makes people you know, stick with the message, etc. how to craft your narrative at the end of the day. So w- what, I will, what I will add here is the fact that uh, a- as an entry level, I think something mo- for me that is very important is the proactivity. So Mm -hmm. when you look inside companies, why people are growing? Because maybe they are doing something that they haven't been asked for. Okay. Because at the end of the day, if you are an entry level, you go to work, maybe you do your job, but if you continue to just work and do your job without adding additional value, you won't be noticed. You won't be perceived as a natural leader within the team, etc. So I think that's why having this psychology knowledge might help you to understand, hey, how can I lead people? I I call this, you know, the horizontal leader, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The leader within the team and not the leader because you have the hierarchy to be the manager, right? Mm -hmm. So you grow with the support of your team. But then there is a very thin line between influencing and manipulating, right? Yes. (laughs) And this is the same in marketing because we all study behavior psychology mm-hmm. so i worked in uh, conversion rate optimization mm-hmm. which is actually how you create the web experience mm-hmm. in a way that the user is one consuming more on that particular website and in the end buys more right yep so and there is a very thin line be- between you know if when you understand the human behavior and 
what can influence them from you know the font that you put the colors that you put mm-hmm. how you how you can nowadays even personalize the whole website from is it raining in that particular location of that uh, user yep. so that you optimize the website in the colors of the mood right which can easily uh, influence that so these are very you know it's a very thin line right mm-hmm. so I, i i'm wondering how how do you see this in in marketing especially and also in you know the entry level mm-hmm. position yeah, as you said i would say you touched a on a really good point, the manipulation, you know, around marketing, etc. I would say the reason of studying the brain also that is interesting is how to prevent your brain from be- from being manipulated, Could right? Yeah. So that's one another reason that why I would go again for for psychology. The way I see it around marketing, I would say, you know, there are bad practices and there are good practices, and I think at the end of the day, everyone has a reputation, so. As if you overabuse this type of practices, or you know, there, are, there is this term called nudges as well, or you mm-hmm. know, you try to do something that you know, you try to make something more invisible, and you try to bring the user where you want to make a specific action. I think after a while, if you overabuse this tactic, I think you will pay the consequences. So I would say you can you can use this type of knowledge. To maybe increase your conversion rate, but I would say up to a limit. Yeah, and I think in the workspace is the same because there I was reading some articles mm-hmm. that as soon as uh, pandemic hit, the one the ones the introverts mm-hmm. started to be performers, which usually yep. they were not the biggest performers in the workspace because they were not these. Uh, popular guys who are talking with everybody and connecting with everyone. So I think that's that's important to to see the difference between the, how the brain actually works, that it not necessarily you need to do the work when you are at workspace, but only because you are connecting. Yep. So how do, uh, how do you see this, this? Because you at Google, you have a huge, I believe, innovation that you you created in terms of workspace right mm-hmm. because you need to create the workspace in a way or the whole organizational culture also mm-hmm. right to actually promote this innovation and to harvest innovation right mm-hmm. but covid changed that so you all went home even in google offices you know from your nice fancy Google offices to home, right? Yep. And how is this changing now? How how do you see that you don't have this this environment anymore? Are people going to co-working spaces or h- how you think that this will, will change? Yep. So I would say as soon as everyone went back home, right? So you could notice immediately if you are working for Google, IBM, Facebook or Uber, right? Because you are at, at home, home, you have a computer, you are around four walls, wherever you look, you don't see the fancy gym or, you know, the cafeteria from Google. Mm-hmm. And so everything feels more or less similar if you work for Google, IBM, etc. But I think 
where you could find still the difference are the people around you. I think that's what mm-hmm. made me even realize or even more the fact that, okay, I'm surrounded by people that are driven, are motivated, you know, are curious, uh, are inspiring. That's what made me think, okay, it's a great place to be even if I'm working at home and I don't have the fancy cafeteria or, you know, the gym in the office. And second, I would say the paying attention to the employee even more. So Google is one of the most famous companies of how they take care of their employees, right? So for example, we received additional days off. We call them, you know, global reset day where mm-hmm. the whole company switches off for one day. Actually, we have one, one day off next week. And I think these small tiny details make, makes you feel more valued mm-hmm. as part of a company compared to maybe, you know, standard company or, you know, that maybe they are not having these practices. So that's what I would say it's still valuable and interesting while working for a, for a company like Google. And second, I would say is the fact that when we went remote, we had to learn from startups. We mm-hmm. had to learn the concept of, you know, having stand-up calls with maybe brainstorming boards, not physically, but, you know, online, for example, you know, with the tools like Miro, you know, Google Jamboard, etc. We had to learn from the startups because, you know, remote startups are out there since many years, Mm -hmm. while for Google, it was the first time that they were working. The whole company was working remotely. So I think it was also a nice way to see how Google learned from the startup during this period. This is a sort of a, a, a common pattern that we've seen like sort of big companies Mm -hmm. once a company becomes big it tries to find ways to become small again Mm -hmm. right either by creating teams or departments which sort of act as small startups it seems like a reoccurring pattern yeah and you mentioned about uh, google startups and how now you guys learned from the startups so Mm -hmm. actually can you tell us a bit more about, you know, what, what is Google Startups? Mm-hmm. Why should once someone participate in the, these type of programs? And if there are any success stories from, from Poland that you know? Yep. So let's start from Google for Startups, right? So it's, it's a team within Google, right, that focuses on online and offline help for startups. So let's start from the offline. As we know, there are many campuses uh, around the world and especially in Europe where Google has a presence within that city. So we are in Poland and you know Google has a campus in Warsaw mm-hmm. where it's a space available for everyone. You could go there, work from there, etc. And also it's a place where Google in the past before the pandemic they were running this accelerator programs, right? Mm -hmm. So this equity-free program where you could go, you could apply and receive all the mentorship from Google and experts uh, from the industry. So you you were also there, uh, Romeo. So that's the offline part. On the online part, there are so many resources that Google provides for free on the Google for Startup webpage, right? So mm-hmm. you could see, for example, how to run a meeting or, you know, how to start your first uh, Google Ads campaign or 
you know, how to get uh, funding and so on and so on. And this knowledge is available for free for everyone because at the end of the day, Google wants to help the whole ecosystem uh, of the startups because at the end of the day, the small startups that uh, starts right now later on might become big customers and they might become big partners for Google as well. They might adopt Google Cloud solution, they might start using Google Ads, etc. So it's a win-win relationship. Like I develop the ecosystem and maybe later on I will get something in return if the company grows. So it's a yeah. long-term plan that yeah. Google makes. In a way also in maybe some of those engineers will want to join uh, Google or maybe they will become customers, right? Like a customer yeah. acquisition strategy can Correct. be. Correct, yeah, yeah. And when it comes to success stories in Poland, I think there was one company called the Infermedica, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, that, you know, participated in one of the Google for Startup Accelerator and then grew exponentially. So received a lot of funding as well, even from abroad. So this is the one that I remember. And I don't remember others right now. Yeah. So I'm, I'm aware of time. So I would like to focus now a little bit on uh, career development, mm-hmm. uh, a bit more on this. We touched a lot into what kind of competences you need to get into Google and so on. But there is another category that uh, I would like to talk to you about, uh, which is the uh, professionals, right? Like mm-hmm. you're not a recent grad anymore. Yep. Let's say you work for one of the corporations, maybe even let's say for one of the vendors, right? Mm-hmm. Of Google or maybe you work in some kind of outsourcing company because here in Krakow, we have a lot of them, especially Central Eastern Europe is famous for that. Yep. But uh, you realize that, okay, I would like to, I'm inspired by Antonello, let's say, and I have this unique, unique selling proposition. Let's put it this way, mm-hmm. like this unique thing that I could push and switch my career. How would you do that? How would I switch from one big corporation yes. to something else, right? Maybe smaller, maybe uh, bigger, but basically a different role, mm-hmm. a totally different uh, industry maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, again, I would restart from my competitive advantage. That mm-hmm. is, if you work in a big company, you have structure. You know how to structure things. You know how to create processes as well. And who needs processes? Startups that are growing, right? Mm-hmm. So... That's where I will focus my attention, let's say. And I've seen a lot of people make this career move from Google, you know, and other companies. Let's say you are a manager at Google and maybe you become a VP in a startup. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, you know, you maybe have been in one of the best gym in the world. So you trained yourself with how to create teams, how to create processes, how to make structure during the week, how to prioritize your workload. And then you give back to a small startup, a startup that, you know, it's in the growth phase. I would say around, you know, 50 to 100 employees might be a nice, uh, a nice place to start. Mm-hmm. And I will look for, you know, if you are a manager, potentially, you know, project manager roles or, you know, if it would be me, for example, I will look for customer support role, you know, becoming the head of the customer support or, you know, the, the head of the marketing team, etc. Because 
right now I have the knowledge if I would have to start a customer support team from scratch, I know what we need in that team. So that's how I would sell my unique advantage. So what I'm getting a lot from this podcast is definitely this competitive advantage Mm -hmm. that is... What makes you unique at the end of the day? Yeah, for sure. So would you go for some courses or do you think it's more the practical thing that matters? I'm just curious, how do you see it as a, as a yeah. Google or YouTuber? I'm, I'm a huge fan of courses as well. Mm-hmm. So, and sometimes they, they might help from a networking point of view or, you know, from, especially if you want to do a career switch, right? Imagine I would love to go to finance right mm-hmm. now. I will need to have technical knowledge because, you know, I don't have any accounting knowledge. I have the basics of accounting. So I can't sell myself in the finance world. So I will need to go and study, maybe, you know, take a career break for one or two years and go uh, and go there and study. So, you know, study during the weekend, etc. So especially for career switch, I would say courses will help you. If you don't have to do a career switch going to a different industry, I think you can find still your way without courses. Yeah, we were talking with uh, George from Servicate, mm-hmm. who is director of marketing there, and he was mentioning that if you do this in marketing, mm-hmm. maybe it's quite different than in finance, right? Yep. Because you can start doing stuff like you do podcast, you do a blog, you do you 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 don't need to do necessarily like a huge course on this mm-hmm. because the information is out there and is more intuitive than, you know, accounting or finance. So it, it, it depends, it depends on this. And do you have some books that you would recommend to people like any kind of resources where somebody like even recent graduate or someone who wants to switch, Mm -hmm. where would you direct them? Yeah. I would say one of the books that impacted me the most. Uh, it's called Design Your Life. I think the name of the author is Bill Arnett, if I remember correctly. So he leads this uh, design thinking team at Stanford University. And mm-hmm. this course actually is one of the most followed course at, uh, at Stanford. And in this book, basically, he explains how to design your life using the design thinking methodology. Nice. Right? Mm -hmm. So I would say, especially for career switch, that's a great book to start. That's great. I I love it. In the past two years, uh, so many people have been sort of pivoting. Mm -hmm. Businesses have been pivoting, but uh, but we've seen a lot of people uh, just leave their jobs and just kind of click the reset button and, and, and trying something new, trying startups. For for one reason or another, so yeah. I mean the Great Resignation, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, <laughs> right, right, which which made this this reset. Great, I think that's about it. Mm-hmm. I really love this this interview and to go through this to this journey. And now I hope that also our listeners have a better understanding on how. It's possible to go from the confetti city <laughs> in Italy to work for this uh, big. What was the name of the again of the city? Sulmona. Sulmona. So to go from Sulmona to work for Google, mm, that's great. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks a lot for Romeo invite, for inviting me. And for the people who are in here in Krakow, 
I know that you have some initiatives that you want to do as like on your own. Can you a bit tell us before we before we finish what are your initiatives? How can people you know get to know you, where to mm-hmm. contact you yeah. and if they want to be part of these initiatives? Yeah, so the best place to find me is uh, LinkedIn, I would say. Mm-hmm. So you can find me, you know, Antonello Schiavo on LinkedIn. One thing I want to mention as well that I offer one hour of free startup mentorship every week. So like I am a huge believer of give back. So I want to mm-hmm. donate one hour of my time for, you know, startup mentorship. And for Krakow initiatives, definitely, you know, there is something in the boiling in the pot right now. Uh, I won't tell you more, but I will tell you if you are interested in personal finance, you will find something coming soon. Mm. Oh, great. Cool. So thanks a lot for your time. Also, guys, one hour from a Googler, if you're a startup, I think you should take advantage of that for sure. Definitely. And see you around. Yep. Thanks. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. You. All right. Wow. Romeo, it takes five interviews to get into Google. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. Yeah. And I, I suppose in some cases it can be even more. But... You know, competitive advantage. This is the the keyword of today. Definitely. I, I was also thinking as as we were recording and, and talking to him that like maybe the, the name of this episode should be Italian goes to Poland to drive Ferrari. <laughs> mm. Yeah, because yeah. of the Gdańsk. So I never heard that Gdańsk can be uh considered as a ferrari but uh, i'm i'm sure the the city will appreciate it yeah, yeah for sure for sure so i think one of the most interesting um parts for me was the fact that antonella went out from his like comfortable zone right from italy to poland where at the end of the day Italians, when they want to be expats, they want to be in these fancy cities. But he looked into not necessarily the city or the countries where his counterparts were going, but where can I have this competitive advantage with the language, with the university that I did? Where can I uh, make it really fast in this uh, tech industry? And best choice you can have i i suppose it's it's google right so he talked about having that uh, unique competitive advantage but he also talked about riding a wave that's there you know not not looking for a dying industry and sort of just riding it down but but really thinking about it and and seeing okay i'm seeing this trend i'm seeing this trend and as he said two plus two four Let's look into this. Yeah, and this was this outsourcing niche, right? Right. Because Poland back then was growing a lot in outsourcing. He came to Krakow to actually train people in this whole Google Ads, you know, elephant, which because it is an elephant, this whole Google Ads thing. And he was actually doing the job. So it was very natural and easy transition to now work with vendors and Google was actually moving into that that strategy let's say and and then moving from Google to YouTube to do a vendor management which is also into outsourcing I mean for me it was just um, amazing to 
to look at uh, how someone can identify a trend and follow that trend and 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 be on the top of that that wave yeah i also really appreciate the fact that we got to sort of look behind the curtain at, at, at such a big company and uh, just just got kind of see how people there think how they approach problems and how they look at their own personal value we talked a lot about sort of the division between what the mind wants and what the heart wants and uh, like conversations like this make big companies like Google and YouTube and and what not makes it obvious that there's people there it's not just these gigantic corporations these these are run by teams these are run by people who are around us who have similar problems and but obviously making products and services which are incredibly influential in our modern world yeah that was a good one thanks again for antonello thank you for listening Growth Gossip was recorded at Yolk Workspace and Community in Krakow. If you enjoyed listening, please give us a share. Or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. See you next time. See you.